Tonight I'll do something that uh, I don't often do, or maybe never have done, uh, I'm not sure. I'd like to look at the scriptures from kind of a business perspective. Uh, businesses nowadays, uh, if they're very much in, in size, everything is, is very formal. And the agency that I work for, it's in the 20 years I've seen a lot of changes and everything has become more formal. So every position, there's a job description for that position. You have to have certain qualifications for that position. For that position. And then you're judged on performance uh, on that. So we have these performance evaluations and everything like that. So we have this in about all businesses as they grow in size. It's... Uh, it's, it's formal, there's a job description, you have to have qualifications, and you're judged on performance of performing on that particular job. So let me just say this, and it might startle you, uh, or at least it'll get your attention. Did you know that your salvation is based on performance? And uh, I think that may get your attention. I don't think I've ever made that statement before. But bear with me as we study this. And I think everyone will agree, your salvation is based on performance. So, in uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and there's more in that chapter than verse 4, so we won't go there, although I love that. I think everybody loves that. Here anyway. So Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read something, and uh, it, it, it is something that aligns kind of with a business world in that respect. So Ephesians 1 and 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And that, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And uh, just make mention of the word hope. Our previous pastor talked about hope, and he said it's not a maybe hope. And he was certainly correct. It's not a maybe hope. It's a desire with expectation to receive that which you have desired. But anyway, it, it talks about here. What is the, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now this word calling means a vocation, a particular occupation or business or profession or trade or career. That's what that word calling means. And let, let me go back and, and read a couple more verses with that. Go back to verse 15. And uh, it says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world or age, but also in that which is to come. So I'd like to talk about Jesus Christ and his vocation, his calling, because that's what that calling means. So whenever I said your salvation is based on performance, it is. Is it based on your performance? Well, this talks about the hope of his calling, the hope of his vocation. So we, you know, we look at that and say, well, he was, uh, he was a carpenter. So is our hope of salvation based on his carpenter skills? Our mentions inheritance. Uh, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So is your inheritance, is your eternal life based on, well, your performance or his performance as a carpenter? Well, don't think it's that. So let's look at this, this uh, vocation, this calling that is that your salvation is based on. And again, it's no doubt it's based on performance. So let's look at a, let's look at a job title here. And again, in the world, there's job titles for different positions. So here, what, what job title are we, are we looking at here? What, what job title would be needed for the salvation of your soul? Well, I think job title of Savior would be okay. So let's, what would be some job descriptions of a Savior? We, if your salvation is based on performance, and it is, then we need to know if this is being performed to perfection. So some of the job uh, uh, some of the job descriptions of a savior would be the first one uh, you have to sacrifice yourself <laughs> that's you don't see that on on any job qualifications I've never seen that before but as far as a savior that would be the number one job qualification would be have to sacrifice yourself another one you have to be without sin Another one, you'd have to be completely obedient to your boss. Had, had to be 100% successful. Uh, 
There's no learning curve in there. Uh, we go into a new job position, there's always a, a learning curve, they call it. But in this, as a Savior, there could be no learning curve. Had to be 100% successful and not making one mistake. So, who's qualified to be your Savior? I know what the world teaches. They tell you that you're qualified and it's based on your performance. It is based on performance. But let's see whose performance it would be based on. Who's, who's qualified to take this title of Savior? Romans chapter 5, and uh, again a familiar scripture. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we look at a lot. So who is qualified to take this position of Savior? Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Well, I stated that one of the job uh, descriptions would be have to be without sin to be a savior. So according to this, all mankind, Adam sinned, we're all descendants of Adam, so we're all sinners. Not one of us would be suitable to be a savior of herself or anybody else. But yet it is based on performance. So here, th this tells us that, listen, uh, sin is passed on all men. So a sinner could not be a savior. I know the world believes that, well, now that they believe they can save themselves, I've heard... One man, he said, well, I need to go talk to this person. I've almost got him saved. So uh, they're putting their self in the position of a savior. But according to Romans 5 and 12, no man would meet that. Well, let's go in Matthew chapter 1. So how do, we, how do we find a Savior then? What can be a Savior? If all mankind fell in Adam and all sinners, then what would we have? Who, who then could take up this position of Savior? Of course, I realize you know the answer to this. I hope you're blessed as we look at this, though. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. So we're going to answer the question, if all men are sinners through Adam, then how could we have a Savior? Because one of the qualifications would have to be is without sin. So, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was in this way. When, uh, see, when uh, his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to uh, make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Well, we see whoever this Jesus is, he's gonna, he has this title. He's going to be the Savior. He shall, he shall save. It doesn't say he'll do his best. He'll make an effort. He'll save those that cooperate. Doesn't say anything like that. Lou, it just makes a statement. He shall save his people from their sins. And let me just go ahead and state, he's going to do it 100%. He'll not lose any. It'll be perfection. But how's he going to save his people uh, from sins? Because to be a savior, you have to be without sins. So reading on, uh, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until uh, she had brought forth her firstborn son, and she called his name, or, and he called his name Jesus. So here, Jesus was born uh, of a virgin. We hear not too much importance put on that, but born of a virgin. So what, what's the significance of that? Does not have, his genealogy does not go back to Adam and Eve. That's where sin came from. Uh, we just read there in Romans uh, 5 and 12 that through Adam, all men are sinners. So this circumvents that, if you will. He's born of a virgin and does not have Adam's uh, sin. Uh, and let's see. Well, we could read that in Luke. We won't take time to do that. But many, of course, it's not a surprise to you that he was born of a virgin. And again, the reason for that was that he would not have Adam's sin. He did not have any sin of his own, but he did not take Adam's sin. So therefore, he would meet the qualifications of the job description to be a savior, have to have no sin of his own. And let's talk just a minute in Isaiah uh, chapter 7, because I realize where I read their virgin and other places, uh, it can be uh, also interpreted as young maiden, not necessarily a virgin. And I've heard people uh, on television say, well, yeah, that doesn't mean uh, virgin, just means a young maiden. And it can mean young maiden. But uh, Isaiah 7 and 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So here again, a virgin. But again, that word can be interpreted as young maiden. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 53, and we certainly get a, a pretty clear picture of that then. Isaiah chapter 53, and verse 1 and 2. Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit to record these words, says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him like a tender plant, and like a root out of dry ground. Now, You gardeners, <laughs> uh, Dolores brought some. Well, Dolores brought some acorns back uh, from a big tree we saw and everything, and we're going to plant some some more oak. We got two two oak trees that we got, and I planted those. But anyway, going to plant some more oak trees. But if that acorn is put in dry ground, it won't germinate. It won't sprout roots or anything. It is. It would have, it would take a miracle. I'm going to say it that way. It would take a miracle. For a root to sprout to uh, to root out of dry ground, it would take a miracle. Of course, that's what happened here. And it says, "For he shall grow up before him like a tender plant, and like a root out of dry ground." There's your virgin birth. It's not humanly possible for that to take place, but this was miraculous. So he was born of a virgin, not just a, young, not just a young maiden, but he was born of a virgin. And his genealogy does not go back to Adam where the original sin came from. So he meets the qualification as a savior as being without sin. That would be one of the qualifications. If he had sin of his own, he could not be our savior. Uh, well, it had to be obedient if we're looking in the business world, as I turn to John chapter 6, as I, as I look in the business world, you'd have to be obedient to your boss to have a good performance evaluation. So, was he obedient? To be a savior, that job qualification had to be obedient. So, John chapter 6 and... Let's, I'm in Romans. I thought, that doesn't look right. I do want to be in John, chapter 6. And I think verse 37 is where we will start. Yes. John 6 and 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And this is Jesus Christ speaking. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. So the Father gives him some, and they come to him. He'll not cast one of them out. And he says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So we know the Father sent him. What was the Father's will? What was, what was part of this job description requirements that a Savior would have to do? So he says, I didn't come down to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. Or we could say boss if we want to, if we look at it in the business world. But what did the boss, what did uh, the father that sent him, what, 
What was his, what was his plan? And this is the Father's will, verse 39. And this is the Father's will who has sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. So was he obedient to his boss? Was he obedient to the Father? That's the reason he came. Not to do his own will, but the will of the Father that sent him. And the will of the Father was... Every one, every single one that he gave him, he wouldn't cast them out and he would lose nothing. In other words, 100% success rate. That's the qualification that would be required to be a savior. And he certainly meets that uh, qualification. Uh, the other, another qualification, we'll go to Matthew chapter 27 for this. It's familiar to all of you, but we said one of the qualifications or one of the job uh, requirements would be have to give you life. To be a savior, to, and again, based on performance. So, Matthew chapter 27 and the uh, well, we might read a little bit here. Uh, you people know about the crucifixion, but let's just read a little bit. Matthew 27 and, uh, and 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns... They put it up on his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed a knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And I went back a little farther just because we can go and we'll read uh, if we read that far. And they crucified him. Just a, a couple of words there. And they crucified him. But it goes more than that. Even we studied about his human side, about he was, he was depressed, he was anxious, and, and I used to, I had trouble with that, I thought, no, he, he came for that reason, he couldn't be, but he was, he took on the human side, he suffered, and uh, even this, put a robe and a reed in his hand, bowed down, yeah, you're, you're some king, this was all part leading up to the crucifixion, things that he went through. Verse 30, and they spat upon him and took the reed and smote him on his head. And after that, they mocked him and they took the robe off from him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, uh, they found a man of uh, Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to bear his cross. And when they were come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And they crucified him. Four words there. And they crucified him. We, you know, we hear uh, different, uh, I guess, uh, 
people in the medical field or scientists, or whatever, and they, they talk about, you know, the pain that he went through, uh, you know, well, just, I mean, the spikes through his hand or wrist, wherever it actually was. And then in his feet, I doubt these were nice, sharp, stainless steel uh, spikes. I'm sure they were old and rusty and been used before and blood and germs and everything on them. And, and they nailed him there to that, and they put him upon the cross, and then he suffered uh, all this time. But it sounds so simple, and they crucified him. But anyway, people in the medical field will say, you know, with your arms up like that, and, you know, you couldn't hardly breathe, so then you push up with your feet, so you could breathe, but then you have the extra pain on your feet and everything. So they talk about the pain. And it is more than, than we could imagine. But a lot of people was crucified. I'm getting ahead of myself. But that wasn't the totality of his pain. And we'll read it here in a little bit. I said he had no sin of his own. But whenever he went to the cross... He had more sin than anybody ever had. And that's what he paid for. He had your sin, my sin. Said everyone that the Father gave him he wouldn't cast out. Well, that's the sin that he carried. And he was going to pay the price not for his sin because he had no sin. But yet on that cross, he was paying the price for all that sin. So it goes beyond the nails and the spikes and, and the beatings and all that. Paying the price for every one of God's elect that he gave him. That's the price that he paid. Uh, so we won't go on here, but it, it, we, you can go on there, and it talks about different things that happened and everything. And then finally then, uh, Jesus cried with a, uh, with a, again with a loud voice and yielded up uh, the Spirit. So certainly this is a requirement of a Savior, and certainly he did fulfill this requirement but so let's review for a moment let's give him a performance evaluation if you will and may seem foolish but let's just look at it from that uh, from that perspective and I'd like to go primarily to the book of Hebrew for that Hebrew chapter 1 because I, I said and I stick with what I said your salvation is based on performance not based on yours, but it is based on performance. So let's give our Lord a performance evaluation and, uh, and see if his performance was acceptable. Put it that way. So Hebrew 1 and 3... who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So according to this, past with flying collar, when he himself purged our sins. You don't purge your sins. Nobody else can purge your sins. They'd have to be a savior and only one can fulfill that job description. So it says, when he by himself purged our sins. 
Man looks to other things, don't they? So according to that, job performance, well, that's perfection. 100%. In Hebrew chapter 2, and, and when I look at this, Hebrew 2 and 2, this helps me understand a little bit of his suffering. Hebrew 2 and 2. For if the word spoken by the angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. So, and then it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Well, that's a question I wasn't planning on bringing that part in. But let me just ask you. If you neglect this Savior... Jesus Christ, we've been talking about, had this position of the Savior. If you neglect that, then tell me. If you don't believe that and you neglect him as our Savior, then how do you escape then? And I know we'll have people say, well, you do the best you can. That's, that's what you hear. But again, only 100% perfection will satisfy the Lord. So, but again, this, every transgression, every disobedience receives a just recompense of reward. Now, this is not reward like, oh, okay, you won the prize, here's a trophy. It's not that kind of reward. It's like my mom and dad might tell me once, if I'd be misbehaving, you're going to get it when you get home. And they never forgot. <laughs> I got it when I got home. They didn't have to tell me that often. I learned. But anyway, you're going to get you're going to get it. You're going to get your reward for your behavior. So here, every transgression, every act of disobedience, every sin is going to receive a just recompense of reward. It's going to receive what it deserves. Now, there will be some that will pay their own. And they'll do that by eternity in the lake of fire, where Satan and false prophets and so forth will be. I know there's a lot of discussion, disagreement about that now, but as I see in the scriptures, uh, the, the false prophet and the devil and so forth, these will be there with them. They're paying for their own. So how are they, how are they paying for their sin? Eternal suffering in the lake of fire. I, I used to think about that, actually, I, I remember uh, not seeing and not understanding, and that's what I thought. And uh, I thought, you know, the lake of fire, that's not, that's not till the weekend, or that's not till the end of the year, or that's not till the end of the decade, or that's not till you die. That's forever and ever and ever and ever. And I didn't like being in that place with that thought. But that is, those that, that he didn't pay, the Father didn't give him, those that he didn't pay for their sin, they're paying for their own sin. And that is the recompense of reward. So, I don't know how many people's in the lake of fire, or will be in the lake of fire. I know it's different than hell. And that's another subject. But think about it. Eternal suffering in the lake of fire. That's what each person 
will pay for that's not given to Christ. So now Christ, the Father, gave some to Christ. So does that mean their sin's not going to be paid for? No. This says every sin and every transgression is going to receive the recompense of reward. Every one of them. So if as you are given by the Father to the Son, that doesn't mean your sins don't have to be paid for. Every sin is going to receive a just recompense of reward. Now, the ones that the Father gave the Son, you don't have to pay for your sins. But Jesus did. Now try to think about his suffering. If this individual spends eternity in the lake of fire paying for their sin, I can't even comprehend that suffering. But then you take every sin, every transgression of everyone's God's elect throughout all the ages, that's what Jesus Christ paid for on the cross. Because no sin goes without being paid. They're all being paid for. You're forgiven, but he takes them. So that's the suffering that he went through. So that was in the job description. He had to give his life. But I wanted to look a little more about his suffering, what he actually, what he paid for. Uh, and he did pay for it. So we're giving him a job performance here. For the words, uh, if the word spoken by angels is steadfast and every transgression and every dis, uh, and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. said, so how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Well, there is no escape other than, than that. And he fulfilled that. 100%. He paid for every one of them. Try to comprehend uh, the price that he paid. So, yes, his performance. He fulfilled his performance. Uh, I'm going to, let's see. Well, let's look at, hold your place here in, in Hebrew. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 for a second. We'll come back to Hebrew. Let's see, Romans 6 and uh, 23. For the wages of sin is death. And I believe that is more than just a physical death. Death is a separation from life. God is life. Eternal death. When you talk about, well, somebody, if they're in the lake of fire, they're still alive. no. It's eternal death. It's not eternal life. It's eternal death. Eternal separation from God. And I can't fully comprehend that. But it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or we can say through Jesus Christ our Savior who gets a perfect score on performance. But we can see the wage of sin... Is death, and they're going to be paid for. Every one of them. Yours, those that he didn't die for, those he didn't shed his blood for, they'll pay for their own. But every one of them will be paid for. Try to think. Again, 
as we see him on the cross, we think of the, the spikes and the beatings and things like that. But try to think about how much he actually paid for. Okay, so now back in Hebrews again. So, so far, he's got a perfect score on his performance evaluation. And Hebrews 7 and 19. For the law made nothing perfect. Now, we're looking for perfection. Perfection is the only thing God will accept. For the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did by which we draw near unto God. And, of course, that better hope is Jesus Christ. That's how we draw near to God. That's how we're made perfect, not through the law. And then, so, job description made perfect through this better hope that was brought in, which the law couldn't do. And then, while we're in the seventh chapter, look at verse 25. Talk about So we're, we're looking at performance evaluation. Look at verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So these that come to God, not of their own free will, but come to God by him. But it says he is able. There's only one person will feed the job description of a savior. And his performance is, well, I don't think you can state it any clearer than this. He is able to save them to the uttermost. And I love that word uttermost. It means no other means possible. And Brother Olson, I remember him saying, I'm as saved now. How was it he said it now? Uh, I'm assured. Okay, I'm as sure as being in heaven whenever I die as if I was already there. Because he believed he was saved to the uttermost. So the people in glory are not any, more, are not any safer than you are. The you are that Jesus Christ, where he's able to save you to the uttermost. You're just as saved as the ones that are in glory through Jesus Christ. Because of his performance. So I love that scripture. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost. There's no, you can't be any more saved. The people in glory are not any more saved than you are. It's just a matter of time. And so talk about performance evaluation. Talk about perfection. He's able to save to the uttermost. No, you can't be any more saved. Can't add anything to it. Uh, while we're here in Hebrew chapter 9 and uh, verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Neither by the blood of goats and calves. But by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. So there again, he was that sacrifice. His death, his suffering, obtained eternal redemption for us. He didn't make the down payment, as many say. 
He didn't make a down payment. He paid the price in full for your eternal redemption. Uh, Why we're here in verse 23. And by the way, I hope you find great joy realizing since your salvation is based on performance, that it rests on, well, our lesson said the hope of his calling, the hope of his vocation. Uh, there are many that trust in the hope of their calling, their vocation, how good they do, how uh, their performance. But I hope you find comfort realizing it's based on his performance as a savior. So 9 and 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, the bulls and goats and lambs, better sacrifice than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood, uh, uh, blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the age, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. His performance. The hope of his vocation. The hope of his calling. Not the hope of your performance. Hope of his. Oh, and while we're here, the uh, 10th chapter of Hebrews. Uh, and let's go to verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. What did the law shadow? Uh, Jesus Christ. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make those who come to it perfect. And we know it takes perfection, don't we? For then would they have not ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices they had remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And in verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So his sacrifice perfected forever those that are sanctified, those that the Father gave to the Son. He perfected them. Again, that performance evaluation took perfection. And your salvation is based on performance, but not your performance. Thank God, but on his performance. Uh, well, there's several other scriptures I wanted to read. but uh, So I guess, so I've made the statement that his performance was, was perfection. He was, he was perfect. He fulfilled this and so forth. But it doesn't make too much difference what I think on that, actually. I was saying perfection, perfection, perfection. But what 
what did the boss, and I, I, I hesitate saying that, but I'm talking about a business atmosphere. What did the boss, what did the father, what did God think of his performance? Isaiah chapter 53 again. And I love his scripture, and I'll just read maybe uh, two verses here. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. We read about the uh, root out of dry ground and so forth. And it's talking about Jesus Christ all the way down through here. And then we get to verse 10. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And well, let me, let me pause there for a minute. I used to have trouble with that. Why, Cindy, did it please God to cause all this pain on Jesus Christ? And I tried to give us something to look at to try to imagine how much pain that he went through. But why would that please God? And I used to struggle with that. Uh, I'll just give a crazy example, I suppose. But uh, Well, let me just read on. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? Because he saw what it paid for. He saw you and I. Uh, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So when he crucified Jesus Christ... He saw you and I, and we didn't read it. I skipped over it, but in Hebrew there, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, saw you, considered you joy, and that's why he endured the cross. But now also Jesus Christ, or also God the Father, said, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So the father saw what it paid for. Uh, again, well, let me just come up with a foolish example. I kept trying to dodge it. but <laughs> So I kind of like having some money. And don't go around giving it out. I told you well, before church started, went down to Sam's, and the new crop of Honeycrisp apples, man, they are good. And they're the most expensive apple that is around nowadays in our area. And it pleased me to give them some of my money. <laughs> Why? Because of what it purchased. I love that. So it pleased the Lord to bring this suffering on Jesus Christ. Why would it please the Father to bring such suffering on Jesus Christ? Because he saw what it paid for, which was you and I. Pretty good description of love, isn't it? Now, so we talked about his performance. Seemed perfect to me, but was the Father, was the ball satisfied? Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Father gave the Son a certain number. And when he died on the cross, he paid the price in full for their redemption. And the Father, and it says, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. 
perfect job performance. So your salvation, no doubt, is based on performance, but not yours. Performance of Jesus Christ, and the judge was satisfied. May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. We are dismissed.